the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist at extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com. Philippians 4 verse 1 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown, Stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Wow, twice in one sentence. Paul calls the beloved, the brethren in Philippi, beloved. We've been in uh, Philippians for three weeks now, and we've, uh, we've looked at uh, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain in chapter one. We looked at having the attitude of Christ who, who emptied himself going all the way to the cross in chapter 2. Last week, we said that everything that has gone before is sort of like counts as rubbish in comparison to knowing Christ. And today, we're in chapter 4, Philippians 4. So twice in one sentence, Paul calls the brethren in Philippi beloved. This is a pretty rare endearment even for Paul. And this really is a joyful letter. The whole book of, of Philippians, the letter of, to, to the church at Philippi, is a book of joy. And as we've already discussed, it was penned while Paul was imprisoned in Rome. And while the chains might have you know, restricted travel, we know all about that, don't we? And, and fastened his body to the walls, the four prison walls, his spirit was far from being imprisoned or ensnared. And I think what a valuable lesson for us today, eh? Who enjoy freedom and we can go places. But, you know, what a valuable lesson for us to have a joy in the middle of trouble. That's a big lesson, isn't it? It's that very freedom that many of us have that uh, lands many people in bondage with broken hearts and imprisoned souls, you know. If we live a lifestyle free of any moral restraint or boundary and zero commitments, actually it makes us a slave of sin. We might not have physical chains, but we have our heart in chains. So Paul had learnt to die to, to his old self with its constant need to gratify the flesh. And the result of yielding his life to Christ daily was that his heart and his spirit uh, was now full of love, joy and peace, things money just can't buy. So here's Paul stuck in a prison, absolutely full of joy and calling his church beloved. You know, the genuine love that he had for his true brothers and sisters in Christ was so evident that all could notice, even the, the guards all around him. And he longed to be with them in person. But through this skillful, skillfully crafted letter, he uses the words joy and crown to indicate deeply felt father-like pride. And his kids, you know. And the reason he's got this wealth of 
feeling for them is that they're walking resolutely in the gospel, they're strong in the Holy Spirit, and they're wise in their God-honoring choices. You know, in our busy 2020 lives, can we say those same three things? That we are walking resolutely in the gospel, that we strong in the Holy Spirit, and we're wise in our choices. A crown or a wreath in, uh, in Roman culture was actually a sign of authority and perhaps also a symbol of, of success. And so Paul is saying here that his disciples are his crown. They're his success. Uh, they are his legacy. And all of the things he, he did before, as we heard last week, he counts as rubbish in comparison to this new found joy and success, seeing his disciples still keeping on doing it without him. The church is thriving. He's not there. I once had a Paul-like moment myself. In 2006, we, we felt to pioneer a kids' camp at Narrows Park for the first time in several decades that the camp had actually put on for the 10 to 13-year-olds. To and uh, it, with God's help, it really was a great success. Sort of had 80 or 90 kids, kids and leaders there, and the next year a few more, next year a few more. And uh, after about two or three years, I felt to hand over to some younger people and get them going, and they did a great job. And... And I was really, really proud of them, and, and I still kept along going there. And I stopped after six years, and, and they were doing fine. And they invited me back for one more time to speak on the last night, because the leaders would sort of have a little get-together, debrief, have some fun, have, have some worship, and they invited me along. And as I sat in the hall, we were munching pizzas and had Coke, and... And I just looked around, all these lovely leaders that were uh, now grown up and uh, serving. And, uh, and I sort of looked at the buildings and, and I'd been wanting to do some things to the buildings and build some more and have some bricks and mortar and concrete. And yet God spoke to me and said, here's your legacy. These kids are your legacy. And I just felt so overwhelmed that that was a Paul kind of like moment where, you know, God had blessed that, that group and they're still forging on now today. And don't worry, you'll get to hear some bad stuff I've done too. <laughs> we know that joy is deep-seated happiness and we know that that's not easily shaken, whereas, you know, some things just are good for the moment, aren't they? But joy is something deep. It's deep in our heart, but it's not blind to reality. Paul's very next verse deals with a dispute that he's heard about between two mature women in the church. We're not told the nature of the of the dispute and don't need to know because it suffice to say that Philippi was not a perfect church. In fact, you won't find a perfect church. If you do, let me know so I'll know not to join it because I'll spoil it. 
I love that, you know, I love that Scripture is so real. Real people, real struggles, real stories. Some of the things we don't understand about Scripture are actually where people aren't doing what God wanted. But it's still in there for a reason, for us to learn. And the reason Paul mentions this could be in part due to the closing verses of chapter 3. So we're going to go back just a couple of verses to verse 20 and 21 of chapter 3. If you've got your Bibles, let's really read. Verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. We're going to miss out verse 1. We've already done that. Verse 2, chapter 4, I urge Judea and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. You see, in the bigger picture, this is not our true home. Once we're blood-bought children of the living God, our citizenship is in heaven. For the believers at Philippi, this was great news because citizenship was a big deal. This was a Roman province. They understood all about citizenship. You see, before they met Christ, for some of them, their Roman citizenship was their badge of honor. It meant privilege. It meant honor and 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 kind of access to legal services and, and privileges. But for others, non-Romans, it meant perhaps inferiority. It meant racial slurs. It meant discrimination and even abuse. And as a group of fairly new believers trying to get along, they all fully understood the word citizenship. See, Paul was getting them to look beyond the natural into the real world of the Spirit. Many years ago, I was speaking to the young people on a Sunday night about reconciliation. And outside, someone was stealing my van. <laughs> when one of Jenny's school friends or teachers heard about it, they said, Well, welcome to the real world, Jenny. And I said, and I thought, no, this isn't the real world. This is the broken world. The real world is the world of the spirit. Hallelujah. And, and we're just in this temporary one. This is not our true home. Disputes, though, are inevitable. So Paul sows the big picture. He's saying, guys, we're now called to something way bigger than Rome as history would, would tell us. 
And then he addresses the matter at hand, these two women falling out. He reminds these workers, you know, all of them, along with Clement, that their names are in the book of life. How cool is that? Ours are there too, if we've asked Jesus to be our Lord and Saviour. These two women were not new believers. They weren't just fresh in the door with a ton of baggage. They'd co-laboured with Paul. They'd shared in his struggles. And he'd preached the gospel with these people. They were mature ladies who both loved Christ. So what's with that? Well, in our experience, even mature Christians can struggle at times to get along. (laughs) Sorry to break the news. (laughs) But Paul's advice is to get it sorted. And he urges them to live in harmony. He's not saying, oh, hey, hey, just don't tell anyone about this, this matter. You know, keep it on the down low. You know, let's just sweep it under the mat. No. He's saying, get it sorted. Sort it out. He urges them to live in harmony. You know, in music, harmonies take practice. They take effort and they take unity of heart. And when one voice or instrument is off, the whole thing suffers. I used to sing in a group with two others that were brother and sister, and their family harmony was so tight, it was sort of like this scary thing joining in. But years later, we could sing the same song and go straight to our parts, 10 years later. Because harmonies don't just happen, they do take practice. They do take effort, and they do take a unity of heart. Paul's saying, let's bring this thing into the light. Let's just not cover it up. Let's bring it into the light. Paul's correction in verse 2 and 3 does not diminish his joy. He simply puts it out there and he moves on. In verse 4 he says, rejoice in the Lord. And again I say rejoice. He's not hung up on this hassle. He's just putting it out there, sorted out. He's delegated it. And here again is a really valuable lesson for us to follow. We correct, then we move on. We don't hold on to these things. Let it go. It's like that ad, you know, it's a year ago. Michael, let it go. (laughs) Keeping that bigger picture in mind, that's our citizenship. That's ours. That our citizenship is in heaven. That's the bigger picture. Wow, when we see the, the fact that our names are in the book of life and that our citizenship is in heaven, these things aren't so big as we thought they might be. How many small issues could we avoid if we remembered that before letting off a bit of steam, you know, there's a bigger picture. Keep that in mind. But sidestepping The potential confrontation is not right either. Nor is going silent. You know, when people shut down, it's really hard 
to resolve stuff and move forward. We talked about that last Sunday night. So what are the rules? What are the rules around this issue of living in harmony? Someone asked me last, um, last night, church, last week, did you direct that message at me? I, I said no. No, I, I endeavor to never use the pulpit to get at anybody. If the cap fits, it must be a God thing. It's the Holy Spirit doing some work. Yeah, that's the prayer every time. I respect the pulpit too much to do that. So I just want to put it out there that this message hopefully comes at a time when there are no issues <laughs> that I'm aware of. Anyway, if, if we've offended anyone, well, please come and tell us. We, we, it would not have been intentional. But while there's good times, there's time to talk about the rules. Amen? Amen. Yeah, so it's a bit like servicing the car, changing the oil and the filter before the motor starts going knock, knock, knock. <laughs> so let's dive in. And, um, and I just also want to say that I really felt strongly the Lord tell me to preach on these two verses this morning. I wanted to preach on verse 13. It's much more fun. But this was what he gave me. So here goes. Here's the three rules for harmony. Okay, number one, what is the root cause? Identify the root cause. You know, so often there's a layer of hurt behind the issue at hand. Perhaps the two women in verse 2 had come from different cultural backgrounds. Various commentaries offer perhaps they were just symbolic of two different people groups. You know, there's all these commentaries. But maybe they were just two women who were a bit different. Perhaps one or both of them had unhealed wounds from the past. You know, I've got a real burden for people who need inner healing. Let's pray over that, pray through that, and ask Jesus to heal. It's also very easy to allow personalities to affect important spiritual decisions. You know, just a strong personality can be all it is. In the pursuit of reaching others for Christ, differences in personality or leadership style can easily cloud the methods. We all want the same thing. We want people saved. We want people set free. We want people to mature. But in the pursuit of reaching others for Christ, these differences can crop up. And sometimes it's a clash of giftedness where we sort of feel our gift has been overlooked or abused and the work suffers. But this is between Paul and his church and these were, these were mature workers. So we need to calmly identify the true source of disharmony and that's step one, all right? I just want to quickly look at Hebrews 12, 15, 
See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. Isn't that a powerful verse? You know, if you don't want many to be defiled, sort out your root of bitterness. And, you know, the key is in the grace, the word grace. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. Number two, the number two rule for getting harmony is to recognize we actually have an enemy, an adversary who wants us to fail and fall out with each other. Ephesians 6.12 clearly tells us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of darkness, and against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Wow, that's heavy. And some versions call them principalities. Sounds even scarier. So clearly this is not to be taken lightly. But, you know, we can overcome. Jenny and I have come face to face with these forces many times. But we have authority over them in Jesus' name. Don't dismiss them, but we have authority over them. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, like a lion. He's not a lion. He's like a lion. Who's the lion? Jesus. And we need to remind them, him that he may sound ruthless, but he's toothless. He's like a lion. He's ruthless, but toothless. His power was defeated at the cross. Hallelujah. Anyone excited about that? The second part of the verse is looking for whom he may devour. He needs authority. Looking for whom he may devour. I've decided that he may not. I've decided that he may not devour my life, my family, my health, my business. And this church, because all those things are no longer mine. Isn't that liberating? See, once we surrender to Christ, he is Lord of all. I don't own them. He may have given us authority over those things, but we, are, we no longer own them. Knowing that and knowing our authority in Christ are two really significant steps in solving challenges, I call them. They're problems if you worry about them, but they become challenges to God when we give it over to him in prayer. Have you noticed that? The worrier's mantra is, why pray when you can worry? Let's be a people who don't have problems, we just have challenges. I know, this sounds simple, and it's not always simple. But many issues arise when we get emotionally attached to things that were never ours. It's no accident that Peter puts verse 7 in there before verse 8. 
And verse 7 says, Casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. That's the key right there. See, we don't own stuff once we bow the knee to Christ. We've given it away. We are his. Even our challenges are his. But we emotionally attach to something and then we get hurt because someone else has got a different way of doing it or wants to do it different. We need to release things to God in prayer. Amen. Number three, finally, we need to strive for unity with a passion at all costs. Strive for unity, folks. Let's just really hang on to this beautiful unity we have enjoyed here in this church. Just like we might strive to achieve an award, we might have strived to win a race, and we got some guys in Auckland striving to, to win a World Cup with a beautiful big boat. But we need to strive for unity. We need to be just as passionate, just as committed to strive for unity. Some of us don't even really bother or know about unity maybe yet. That's okay. It's okay, but it's something to be treasured. We discipline our talk to not talk about those we serve with. We work as a team and we work in our area of gifting to achieve something worthwhile. And the goal is to please the King of Kings. We all need a goal. If we fail to plan, we plan to fail. We seek to bless our God by loving what he loves and hating what he has. hates. Sorry. Hating what he hates and loving what he loves pleases our king. Matthew 18 says we need to go to the person that may have hurt us or offended us. Go to them. Go directly to them. Get it sorted. Don't go by someone else. We need to stick to the rules and sort things out. But there's something we need to wrap around all of these things, these rules. We need to wrap around love, humility, and wisdom. They're like a cloak that we can grab and wrap around these, these troubles, disputes, arguments, call them what you like. We need to wrap ourselves with love, humility, and wisdom. Our oldest son, Craig, we've talked about him before, went off to this college to learn to do television and, um, you know, recording. And very quickly, an older girl told him all his faults. You know, when you leave home, you think you're perfect until you get to somewhere else. <laughs> and she was right. She was just about bang on on everything she said. But she didn't have any grace. And someone said to her, you're right, but where's the grace? <laughs> the way it was said. To Craig's credit, he took it on board. Finally, I think we should say that as mature Christians, we need to see the best in others. 
Think good things. Believe good things. Verse 8, Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's right, whatever's pure, lovely, good, think about these things. Think about these things. So we, be- we need to believe in one another, eh? Believe for the best. As we grow in our faith, we recognize more and more of our own shortcomings. And so we need to all walk in humility. James 4 verse 10 says, Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. Great advice from Peter. From James, sorry. And Peter before. And Paul. We need to sort things out in the right spirit. They're all in agreement. We can be right and we can be wrong because we've got the wrong spirit. Think about where's the grace in this situation. Wrap yourself with love, wisdom, and humility. So just recapping, we need to identify the true source of an issue. Be aware that we have an enemy, that we have authority over, but he's there. And let's not blame him for everything. You know, it's often straight out sin, ours and others, that causes trouble. We blame the devil. We may need to repent. At times we may need to ask forgiveness. It's not easy. And then we pursue unity with a passion. You know, love, humility, and godly wisdom are the attributes of peacemakers in the tricky business of getting along. We can be different and still united. We can disagree, yet be united. We are not always going to agree, but let's be united in spirit and have the mind of Christ to guide us through all issues. Amen. Lord, I thank you for your rules and advice on getting along. I just thank you that the Bible has just got so much wisdom in people's behavior, in our behavior. And so, Lord, I just pray for that grace to come, flood over us all, that grace that allows for mistakes, that grace that allows for forgiveness, that grace that allows for second chances. And Lord, if there's any here today that haven't met you yet, I just pray they would just have a glimpse of the picture of you on the cross where grace was poured out for all sin. We can turn problems into, into challenges, into victories. Lord, I thank you that there's power to live this life. There's power and there's grace to live in unity. There's a beautiful grace to overcome differences. Come, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit, with that grace today. 
In your wonderful name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Huntley Baptist Church Podcast. We hope that it 